Um, we're going to start in chapter 14, but there's going to be much more uh, to dig into. We're going we're gonna to jump around on some things and, um, and really hopefully let the Word come alive to us in some ways that are pretty significant in this. Um, I, I'll let you get there. Acts 14, page 926. Just my Bible, I guess. But um, but we, we we have this here for us there. Let me just pray before we jump in. God, I, I I beg of you to be the one that speaks. I pray that your Holy Spirit leads every word out of my mouth. I pray that um, that it's your word that doesn't come back void, not mine. For your glory, in Jesus' name, Amen. Life is crazy sometimes. It's weird sometimes how it happens. I remember. The first time I had to change my dad's diaper. That seems like a weird thing to start a sermon with. But the reality is when I was in middle school, my dad got sick with multiple sclerosis. Um, Ended up taking his ability to walk away. Um, Function of his legs, he was in a wheelchair. Um, I I went off to college, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. uh, Mostly self-inflicted by smoking, but it it crippled him that much more. Um, His strength, his energy, his ability to to function, uh, mostly went away in that time. My parents also got a divorce, so my mom left, and, and that was the primary caretaker of my dad. And so I would come home from college to my dad in a wheelchair, um, and, and there was nurses that would come by or whatever to do things, but I was tasked to change his diaper. And I thought, man, this is life coming full circle. The man who changed my diapers... And now I'm changing his. And life has a way of these full circle moments that happen. Um, It wasn't always the most pleasant thing. I'm sure it was uncomfortable for him as it was me. Awkward, uh, messy, uh, painful uh, to a certain extent. uh, Probably physically more for him than me. Uh, But as a college kid, you don't think you're going to change diapers, especially your own dad. And yet God has a way of of these full circle moments happening. Um, Sometimes they're not always pleasant in that. Sometimes they're incredible celebrations today to see Andy baptize Audrey um, 17 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago, Andy gave his life to Christ, senior in high school at Round Rock, and then three years later, he gets baptized right there. And now 17 years later, he's baptizing his daughter. That's a full circle, and that's a celebration of full circle stuff. God has a way of doing that. Sometimes it's awesome, and sometimes it doesn't always feel as good. But these full circle moments are things that I think God does on purpose. I think that Scripture tells us that he who started a good work will be faithful to complete it. I don't believe God leaves circles incomplete. I don't believe that he starts something and says, ah, messed up on that, let me move on to the next one. He's constantly working in us, through us, around us, and using every situation, every circumstance, every thought process. He uses all of it for his glory to bring us to completion. And I think he has all about these full circle moments, ultimate full circles. We get to be in his presence in heaven. Those that have a relationship with him, not not go to church and check the box, but relationship, heart change, like Andy was talking about that, that knowing him here versus knowing him here and choosing to step into that. And, and, and I want to look at a couple of things in Scripture that are full circle moments that are there. So Acts 14 is where we're going to be. And we're going to start in verse 19. Uh, of, of that chapter. And, and I'm going to break it down a little bit as we go, and we're going to jump around just a little bit, so hang on. Acts 14, 19, it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and after winning the crowds over, 
So you read that and you think, hey, man, this is a celebration that's going on. So we had folks coming from out of town. It's like South by Southwest happening in the scriptures right there. They're coming from all over and we're going to get the crowds all excited. And this is going to be a great thing and traffic will be horrible. And all of this will happen right here in what's going on. And so let me give you some some history just a second. I don't want to bore you with it, but I want you to understand. Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. And, and they're traveling around to different cities and doing different things. In most of these cities, they're having some really good things happen. Uh, they are, are for the first time presenting the gospel so that it's, it's Gentile and Jews available. Uh, there, there's this new edict that has come from Jerusalem, and, and that's how it's going to be. Is, is This is, is the way you don't have to be Jewish now the door has been opened for Gentiles, and they're sharing this good news. And it's, it's great stuff happening, and there are many coming to know Christ in this story. But they get to Antioch, and all this stuff happens, and it's really good. But then opposition rose against them to the point that they had to shake the dust off their sandals and move on. Like, we're just not going to be here anymore. This is no good. We've hit a wall. We're done. Shake the, the dust off their sandals and move on. So then they move on to Iconium. And in Iconium, they're, they're there, and they show up, and there's, there's opposition again. Uh, there's, there's great converts and some things happening, but then this opposition rises up, and there's this rumor that's going around, and it gets back to Paul and Barnabas, we're going to kill you. They find out about it. They sneak out of town, and they run away from that one. Now they're in Lystra. This is where they are in Lystra. The geography is not that important, but they're in Lystra, and now they're there. And as they, as they got to Lystra... Uh, there, there was this crippled man, and you can read it just right before in the beginning of chapter 14. There's this crippled guy who's never walked in his life. His feet don't work. It's just terrible. And Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, heals this guy, and he gets up and he starts walking around, probably jumping around, running around. He's using his feet for the first time in his life. So all of this happens, and, and the, the people of the city, which is mostly a Greek city um, full of Greeks and, and, and that, they all of a sudden go, these are the gods, little G gods. And they called him Zeus and Hermes. Like they went all out and said, you are the big dogs. Zeus and Hermes, that's who you are. This is it. And they began to worship them. They wanted to bring them sacrifices. They're saying, hey, we're going to bring all these animals and burnt sacrifices. We're going to do all this stuff for you. And Paul, you got to think, man, he's been rejected in city after city. He's probably going, finally, someone gets it, right? Someone understands how great I am. I am the man, right? That's not how Paul responded at all. Paul's response was, whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you're talking about false gods. There's only one true God. And he pointed them to one true God and said, do not worship us. Do not bring sacrifices to us. We are not these Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. Those are false gods. We serve the one true God and began to talk about the resurrection, began to talk about God's kingdom. They began to share these things with them. And to be honest with you, it didn't do much good. There was kind of a very little effect that it had. They just wanted to worship these guys. And so this is the situation that's going on. So now you kind of get the idea, and now you have folks from Antioch and from Iconium all coming to Lystra. You're talking 100 miles here between those two cities to get down to Lystra. And so they're there, and it says in that, that verse right there we just read the beginning, it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and after winning the crowds over. So now they're going to win the crowds over. These Jews that came were not the converts. These Jews that came were not the ones that showed up and said, hey, man, we love what you did in our cities. We just want more. We're going to follow you on this world tour, and we want to hear everything you have to say. This is not who showed up. The ones that showed up were the ones that were ticked off. This is the old school folks that said, you're doing it wrong. We don't like the way you've done it. You're, you're letting these Gentiles get away with not following the law. We don't like this. We are in disagreement with you. And so there's this division that's there, and they show up 
with intent to kill. Now, how do they turn the people there that are ready to worship them? Well, they come in and say, Paul, you're a rabbi, and yet you're not going with the old school law, so Jews don't like you. Well, Paul, you're offering to say that, that, that we call you a god and that our gods are false gods and this one true god is different than what we serve with Zeus and Hermes and all these other. So it was easy to get these people all ticked off at them. It was easy to get these crowds, even though they were opposites, they had a common enemy in Paul and they were able to rise up against them. So now you have this crowd that has risen up against them and they are not happy. And they are upset with the situation. So the Jews come from Antioch and Iconium. After winning the crowds over, this pep rally is going to happen. Oh, no. The rest of verse 19 says this. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, presuming him to be dead. What? This was the, they, they, they got all these people. They're, just, they're, they're, they're fired up, man. They are, they are angry. They're upset. And what they do, they take Paul and they stone him to the point they think he's dead. They drag him out of the city, presuming that he is dead. Don't miss how, how intense the situation was. It's not like a couple of rocks hit him like, ow, that hurts, and we go out of the city and lay down and play dead. This is not what happened. They presumed, the one stoning him presumed he was dead. Stoning is not a pretty sight. There's gashes and blood and bruising and swelling and probably broken ribs. He probably entered concussion protocol and he couldn't preach for two months. I mean, I don't know what's going on with him, but this stuff is happening. And he is in a bad way to the point they thought he was dead. Now, he's laying there, presumed dead, and I wonder what's going on in Paul's head. Because at this moment, I believe we have a full circle number one. And this hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm not super smart. And so when I see these things in Scripture, it's like, oh, wow, that's awesome. This was one of those moments for me. Because we have this guy, Paul, who's being stoned presumably to death. If we rewind the clock back to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we're ending the story of Stephen. Stephen is the first martyr. Stephen had boldly proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. He got in their face and told them how it was going to be. You can read his whole sermon in in Acts chapter 7. And he reads it and it says the crowds, they, they rose up. They were gnashing their teeth at him. They drug him out of the city and they stoned him. And then chapter 8 verse 1 says this. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Saul was good with them killing him. Saul on the road to Damascus, has this big light, and his name changes to Paul. I don't believe that it's lost in this moment on Paul as he's laying there, bloodied, broken, bruised, battered, presumably dead. Now I'm on the receiving end of what I gave. Talk about full circle. This, this man who gave approval to the death of Stephen that began a great persecution against the church, that began all of this negative stuff happening, all of these terrible things. Now, years later, he's now on the receiving end of what he was cheering for before. I wonder what hurt worse. The big rocks that were hitting him or the echoing sound in his head of Stephen's prayer, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he's the one that needs to be forgiven, and now he's going through it. Now he's in that moment, full circle. That's that's intense to me that that would happen in that moment. And as he lays there, receiving blow after blow after blow. Think about the crowd. It says they they got the crowd to rally against them. They, they, They got the crowd riled up against them. I mean, the same probably words, the same volume, the same intensity of the crowds that he was a part of to go and stone Stephen is now the crowd that has risen up to stone him. 
They were hungry for blood. These were carnivores, man. They were going after it. And they would not stop until he's dead. And they're probably thinking, he's dead. Let's go get Barnabas now. Barnabas like, whoa, hey, I'm just the encourager. You know, hey, right? I mean, that's... And so he's in that moment there, and this full circle thing happens to him in that moment. But he's not dead. They just think he's dead. He's presumed dead in that moment that's there. And, and so Saul is approving of this happening and, and what's going on. So now we jump back to chapter 14, um, to, because we got Saul, and now he's Paul, and, and he's being stoned, and he's laying there, presuming him to be dead, starting in verse 20 now. It says, but after the disciples had surrounded him... He got up and went back into the city. What? He, he got up and went back into the city. Now, i got a picture of what's going on here. So he's laying there, presumed dead, and now the disciples kind of surround him. Why are they surrounding him? Are they like, got a doctor? Check for a pulse? Like, he's really bleeding there? Like, I mean, what are they saying? Are they protecting? Because now he's had enough, so let's circle around him as the crowds now walk away because they're job is done because he's dead are they laying hands on him to pray for him to pray for healing to pray for resurrection to pray i don't i don't know it doesn't tell us what they're saying it just says they surrounded him they did not leave him they knew what it cost him and they didn't run away don't miss that little nugget right there and so there they are surrounding him and then it says the disciples surrounded him he got up and went back into the city like, they're sitting there looking at him going, this is not good. And all of a sudden, his eyes are like, hey, fellas, uh, uh, Paul, you all right? Yeah, get me up. Let's go back in the city. Ah, is that really the best place for us to go? I mean, do you really want to go there? And what about the people that were in the city? He comes walking back. Maybe there's a guy under each arm, and he's limping his way in. I don't know, he's bloody all everywhere, and he's like, he got a Band-Aid. I mean, he's walking into the city. What do those people think? I thought he was, I thought he was dead. He's alive. What, what is going on here? Now, does he stay for long? No. It says right there at the very next verse right there. On the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. The next day, he goes to Derby. Now, why is that significant? I don't know. I'm not a great geography guy. I know Derby was about 60 miles away, and this guy just went through a stoning that left him dead, and he gets up the next day and goes 60 miles. Nothing will stop the mission. I will not stop. It doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter how bad you beat me. It doesn't matter because the gospel is more important than me. The gospel is more important than my circumstances. I can make excuses or I can make a difference. And Paul in that moment said, we're going to go make a difference. There's more people that need to hear. The mission is not done. As long as I have breath, God has a plan. Can I tell you, as long as we have breath, God has a plan. And there he was going to Derby. How long did it take? I don't know. I know it's about 60 miles. I know that, that he was more than likely on foot. Maybe they rented a donkey. They didn't call Uber. They didn't hail a cab. It wasn't like, hey, can we get over there real quick? No. This is a journey. And they go to Derby. They're headed off to Derby from Lystra, the 60-mile trip, because they're going to continue on with what's happening in the situation. So go to verse 21 said, after they had proclaimed the good news in that city and made many disciples, please understand, that's not just a one-day trip. They didn't show up for a Sunday service and then leave. It wasn't like, hey, let's go to Derby. Imagine what he says. He shows up and says they go to that city and they proclaim the good news and they had many disciples. 
Now think about the power of his testimony. He shows up bloodied, swollen, eyes probably swollen shut. He's got a big lump on his head. He can't walk straight. He can't really breathe because his lungs are... I don't know what's going on with him. I just know that he was stoned to the point of being presumed dead. And now he's in another city proclaiming the good news of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it impacted them. And it said they made many disciples. Here it, said, it didn't say they made many converts. They didn't make many church members. They didn't have a big baptism service. Those things are all awesome and they're fantastic. They are not what gets you to heaven. A relationship with Jesus Christ. A disciple is someone who follows someone else to the end. A disciple of Jesus Christ is a follower of him to the end, not just in convenience, not just when it feels good. I'm afraid that in our culture today, in in the United States, we have created this culture that Christianity is a feel-good religion when it's not. It's a challenging relationship. If anyone's going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. See, that doesn't feel good. And we base our followership of Jesus on how we feel. Well, my circumstances aren't good, so God must not be in this. That didn't feel good, so God must not be in this. Well, Stephen died, so God must not be in this. Can I tell you without Stephen's death and the power of his prayer that years later that now Saul, who becomes Paul, takes a stand in that moment and gets gets stoned almost to death in that? Stephen didn't even know. He was dead. But yet what he did and what he was willing to die for impacted generations to come. What we are going through is not just for us and it's not against us. It is for God. It's for His glory. And He will use your story for His glory, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He can take the worst of the worst and redeem it and turn it into a great story. Nothing is wasted in the economy of God, even our bad choices, even our bad circumstances. Even people coming against us when we take a stand for Christ is not wasted in the economy of God. And so there they go in this, and they get all these converts, and they say, we've made many disciples. And after they did that, then they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch. And now they're going back to these same cities, back to the same ones where death was imminent, where people were against them. But yet there were people there. There were, there were disciples there. And they needed to go and help them. They needed to see this. Because the last image that they saw was a broken, bruised, battered man walking out of the city. Is that the last image they want to see? Is that you look like you lost? They needed to see God win. And so he shows up back in the city. They go back to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch. And here's what happened. They strengthened the souls of the disciples and encouraged them in the faith. They're going to strengthen them. They're going to make them stronger. They're going to make them encouraged. They're going to be excited about this, man. They're going to put wind back in their sails again. How are they going to do that? By saying this, we must enter the kingdom of God through many persecutions. Look at me. I still got scars. I still got some wounds that are healing. I'll probably never walk normal on this leg again. That's how we get to the kingdom of God. Doesn't that fire you up? It's going to be terrible sometimes. It's going to be a struggle sometimes. There's going to be people come against you sometimes. It's not always going to feel good. And it says that it encouraged and strengthened them in their faith. Hearing the reality of following Christ should encourage us. It should challenge us. If it comes too easy, then I question it. If you're not running into the enemy on a regular basis in your walk, then you're probably walking the same way he is. We need to be going head on against the enemy. He's coming against us. And he can't come against us if we're walking with him. 
It's time to walk against the enemy and towards Christ and run to the cross with everything that we have and remember the power of the resurrection and that's there. And we can be encouraged and strengthened knowing that the persecutions are great because people are recognizing, the enemy is recognizing that we're not living for ourselves, but we're living for something bigger than ourselves. And that's where they were. That's where these guys went back. Paul and Barnabas, they go back to these cities to say, it's not over. We're not going to quit. The gospel is too important. The good news is too important. We're going to grab something awesome and we're going to tell everybody about it. And it doesn't matter what you do to us. Well, we'll kill you. That's awesome. I'll be with Jesus. Well, then we'll just beat the sap out of you. That's even better. I get a bigger reward. What can we do? Nothing. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. It's Christ that lives in me. The life I live is not my own, but it's one bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. These are his words that he says in Scripture. This is the power of his testimony. It doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what goes on. Because I have my end goal in mind. I get through this day because that day's coming. And they kept proclaiming that day. And that's just such good truth for us to hang on to and grab in that. Now, this gets even better because we get full circle number two. So hang on to this. So now, we're going to this and, and the, the injuries are fresh and it's very clear what it's going to cost them. Now, Acts chapter 16. So flip over a page real quick. Um, and we're going to be at the very beginning, verse 1. Because they were going back to Iconium and to, to Lystra and, and Antioch. It says, he also came to Derby and to Lystra. Now, Lystra is where he was stoned, right? So don't, don't miss this. He's now back where he was stoned to presumably dead. And now we meet somebody. A disciple named Timothy was there, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Now, why is this important? Why is this a big deal? More than likely, Timothy was probably mid to late teen. He was a teenager. He wasn't some grown man that had it all figured out. He was a teenager. I can't tell you historically documented evidence in this, but my gut tells me he was probably there when Paul was stoned. That's what teenagers do. They go check things out like that. And they see this big ruckus and people are rioting and maybe there's, there's uncles that are involved in this or, or friends and parents that are involved in this. And he goes and watches this man, Paul, get stoned to presumably dead. What kind of impact does that have on a young man? To see a man who's willing to die for something he believes in. Not live for something he believes in, but die for something he believes in. And now young Timothy is watching a stoning take place. Just like Saul watched a stoning take place. Stephen was stoned. Saul watched. It changed his life eventually through Christ. Now he's here hearing the echoes of Stephen's prayer in his head as he was stoned. And then there's young Timothy. For all we know, that's when Timothy gave his life to Christ. Because of the testimony that Paul and Barnabas had been given when they were in Lystra. And it rose up against them. And now here he is, and now he comes back again on this journey. And there he is, and he meets young Timothy. Mom is a, is a, a Jew and a believer. His dad's a Greek and probably a non-believer. Most historians think that at this point his father had passed away. There's, there's not record of him anymore, but his mom is still around. And so he, he's in this moment, he's, he's kind of a half-breed because he's got a, a Jewish mom and a Gentile dad, a Greek dad. And so he kind of gets both sides of the fence, but he's also kind of in the middle. Uh, what's happening with all this, if his dad is gone, he's probably looking for a male role model that he can kind of go, I can connect with that guy. And here comes Paul, back again, still with the wounds, still with the scars, still with the same story about Jesus. And he's still proclaiming it what's there. And he's there either watching it or at minimum he heard about it. That doesn't happen in your town without everybody hearing about it. So he, he knew what was going on with that. And so it's there that's happening. And this is what goes on in verse uh, 2 and 3. It says, 
the brothers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. They spoke well of him. Imagine this, a testimony with a great, I mean, a teenager with a great reputation. Wow. It's possible, guys, that people not just in your town, but other towns would speak about your character, would speak about the kind of man or woman that you are. That's a big deal. That's a big deal that these people in his town and other towns, it says that they spoke well of him, not well to him. They spoke well of him when he wasn't around. When they were talking about him behind his back, it was the good things they were saying. His character spoke louder than his mouth did. That's pretty impressive to me that this young teenage man had that kind of a, of, a, of a reputation in cities around there that they spoke well of him. So Paul knows this, and he, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He's like, hey, bro, you're young. You're excited. You'll take on hell with a squirt gun. Let's go. I need someone like you on my team. We don't know what happened to, to, to John Mark earlier. Uh, bailed on him, and, and, and maybe he got tired. Maybe he quit. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they had a fight. I don't know what went on. But now he's saying, Timothy, let's go. Let's go. We got a mission. We got big things to do. You've seen what it might cost you. You've seen the stories. You've heard the stories of Stephen. You saw what happened to me. I want you to go with me. I want you to go with me partly because you know the Jewish things because of your mom. You know the Gentile things because of your dad. You can speak to both crowds. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty important too. So he says, I want you to accompany me. This is what he says. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Circumcision was not a requirement for salvation. That, that, that had been taken care of. The, the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem had given the creed that says, no, salvation is for all through Jesus Christ. It's not what you can do of yourself. There's no law you have to follow. Jews didn't always like that. That's part of the stirring that got the crowd all, all raised up. But he says, listen, you, you don't have to do this. But if you do, it'll make our mission that much better. If you're willing to do this, you'll have voice with both Jews and Gentiles. You'll have the ability to do that. But it's going to hurt a little bit. Right? And this is a teenager. This isn't a three-year-old kid in the hospital. This is a teenager says, all right, just go. I mean, you know what? How do you do that, right? Knowing the pain that's coming. But you know what? It's less than what he just saw Paul go through. It's minimal compared to being stoned to the point of being presumed dead. You know what? I'll do it. Sign me up. I will make that sacrifice. Even though it's not required of me, it's not a have-to thing, I will do it because the mission is greater than my comfort. The mission is greater than what I feel. The mission is greater than my circumstances. And I will go through that. I will willingly go through that so that I can have a voice with everyone to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection. That's bold. That's big time. And the power of this, what we would say is a terrible situation of Stephen getting killed, a terrible situation of Paul getting stoned presumably to death, now brings Timothy along to this. Do you see the generational blessing, what God uses full circle, what the enemy intends for evil, God uses for good? Nothing is wasted in the economy of God. And what he starts in you, he will finish. And and our bad stuff is used for his glory, our story for his glory. We've got to quit whining. I've got to quit whining. The mission is so much more important than our comfort. And so there he goes. And they take off. They're going to do whatever it takes to get the message out. Verse 4 and 5 in Acts 16. As they went through the towns, 
They passed on the decrees that had been decided on by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the Gentile believers to obey. Now, I don't want to give you a whole bunch of boring history stuff, but basically what happened is they went to Jerusalem about this whole idea about law and circumcision and all these different things, and they, what they did is they rewound the tape all the way back to Moses. It predated the law and all that, and these were the four things that you needed to abstain from. It's sexual immorality, it's, it's eating unclean animals, it's blood, it's uh, animals that have been choked. You can read what it is. It's not super important other than it's those four things that they said, these are the things you need to abstain from. These are the rules that you live by. These are the non-negotiables. This is where we're at. And so they went around, and they're telling these decrees. They say they passed on the decrees for the Gentile believers to obey. So the message there was literally a list of four things that you don't do, in addition to, obviously, the resurrection and the kingdom to come. And, And they do this, and it says, So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number every day. What happened when the church was challenged to obey? When they obeyed, the church grew in numbers and it grew in strength. I think part of the reason the church in America and the world today is not as strong as it was is because we're choosing not to obey because it doesn't always feel good. And it's time for us to choose to obey. God didn't give us the ten suggestions. It's the ten commandments. He didn't say, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me three days a week. He said, this is what it is. This is what you want. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, he gives us our priorities. He gives us our focus. He gives us our action items. And he expects us to do it. But it doesn't feel good to take up my cross. It doesn't feel, you don't feel good for him? He still gives us that resurrection power. You want resurrection power? Something has to die. And that something is our sin nature. That's our self. That's why Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. It's Christ that lives in me. That is the truth of the gospel. What are we doing to live that out? Are we as the church following what he's already asked us to do? I want, I want to hear from you, God. I want to hear from Give me something to do. He already did. Let's do what he's already asked us to do. And I think that we'll see the church strengthen and we'll see it increase in numbers. It says every day it added to their numbers. And I say this to me and I say this to you, but when's the last time that you boldly shared the story of Jesus Christ so that someone would come to know Christ? Because if you're relying on us as pastors to do all of that, you're wrong. It's not just my job. It's our job. It's our job to testify to Jesus. It's our job to tell the great news of Jesus Christ no matter the cost. That's our job. That's the great commandment. It's the great commission. It's what we're called to do. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. Not just converts. Disciples. Those that then go make disciples. Disciples that make disciples that make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. And it's time for us to step into that and do that. And so here's what they did in that. And and, and it said that that the end result was the strengthening of the faith, increasing of the numbers. um, And it wasn't because the message felt good. It wasn't because it was easy believism. It wasn't because, hey, that's what I wanted to hear and you made it easy for me. It was because you need to obey the decree. Obedience is the key for all of us. Obedience. He, he loves obedience more than sacrifice, he tells us in Scripture. I mean, that's his words, not mine. Is it going to be easy? Nope. Is it going to cost you? Yep. Is it going to feel good? Nope. I'm not going to lie to you. Following Jesus is a contact sport. And we've got to get in the game. It's not a spectator sport. 
There's nowhere in Scripture the gift of spectating is there for us. We are to be active participants in the sharing of the gospel. And we've got to share that with them. It's going to be hard, but John 16.33 said this. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Bingo. In this world you will have trouble. If you're not having trouble, check how you're walking with Christ. I'm not saying you live in trouble 24-7. But I'm just saying it's not always a walk in the park. It says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's overcome the world. We win. I read the end of the book. We win. We should live like we're winners. We don't have to live losing. We don't have to live with our head down. Even though the enemy may come against us and we feel like we're losing, we feel like we're beaten to death, we feel like we've been stoned and our ribs are broken and our concussion is there, all of these things are happening, we've got wounds that are bleeding and I'm not sure I want to go on anymore, then we remember the mission, we remember the good news of Jesus Christ and we get up and go back into the city again. We get up and go back and we get up and say, hey, come join me on this, come be a part of it. Every one of us should be a Paul and should be investing in a Timothy. Every one of us as a Timothy should be looking for a Paul and then investing in the next Timothy ourselves. That's the process by which it works. We've got to do it. So I ask us these questions in closing. Number one is this. What things in your life have come full circle? What stories do you need to tell around your dinner table or lunch table? What stories do you need to tell your kids? Kids, what stories do you need to tell your parents? Some of those stories haven't come full circle yet, but you're excited to see them do that. You're excited to see God take this terrible, horrible thing and redeem it and turn it into a full circle moment. Your story for His glory. What are some things that have come full circle? I, I hate the story of my dad and changing his diapers. That's a painful memory for me, but it's a full circle moment. But I love getting to stand in the water with Andy and Audrey. I love getting to be there with you guys and see a full circle moment. Because I was there the day Andy gave his life to Christ 20 years ago. And I got to be there the day he baptizes his daughter. See, I love those full circle moments, man. I love that God is bigger than us. So what are the full circle moments? Number two, how can you let God use those things for eternity? How can that story be told in light of eternity? Number three is this. Is it possible that the circumstances that you're asking God to change in your life are the very circumstances He's using to change you? See, because I'm guessing Stephen probably thinking, "Ah, I'm not sure I enjoy this stoning. Paul, I'm not sure I enjoy this stoning. Jesus, I'm not sure I enjoy this beating in the cross. See, we want circumstances to change because we want it to feel good. And God says, I want you to keep going even when it doesn't feel good. Because the mission is there. And that's the circumstance that I'm going to use to change you. And we have to learn hard lessons sometimes through our choices, through our lives, and through the lives of others that hurt us. But God has a plan. Our story for His glory. And then finally is this. Are we willing to enter the kingdom through many persecutions? Are you willing to say, you know what, I'll take it. As hard as it may be, I'm willing to step into it because of what He did for me. God will never ask you to do something that He wasn't willing to do Himself. And when He says, come and follow me, take up your cross, follow me, Jesus already did that. He took up His cross to follow His Father. Now we take up our cross to follow Him. I hope you're encouraged by this. I know it's hard and it's heavy, but I love these full circle moments. And and for God to use one of the most horrendous deaths ever of stoning to death and the pain of rocks hitting you over and over again to death for Stephen and then it transitions to Saul, to Paul, and then transitions to Timothy. 
and it's generational of the story being told. And I want you to be encouraged by that. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. In your point of resisting sin, have you shed blood yet? I don't don't think we have. Let's continue to fight on, to fight the good fight, to run with perseverance, a race marked out for us. God's got a great plan if we'll just pursue it. Don't sit and wait. You've been called. Let's go. And if there's anybody in this room today going, man, that, that sounds tough, Alan, but if that guy loved me enough to die for me in that way, that guy loved me enough and these other people had that vision of understanding of what Jesus did, therefore they were willing to go through what they did, maybe I need to know this Jesus guy. Maybe I need to give my life to him for the first time and, and not just have him here, but here and make that difference. If you want to do that, please come and talk to one of us. They'll be up here to pray with you and, and talk with you about how to give your life to Christ. Not just your word, your life. Because that's huge. That's eternity. So let me pray. Band's going to come up and we're going to just step into a moment of response. This is on you to to be obedient wherever I ask you to to just kind of focus on God right now and say, all right, what are you telling me to do, God? What What is this step of obedience I need to take? What is it that I need to confess and repent? What is it that I need to... to to stand up in the midst of? What city do I need to go back into? What thing are you using in my life to come full circle for your glory? I'm going to let you deal with God on that. There'll be some people up here to pray with you if you desire that. Um, But I just want to pray over you. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for these stories that that come full circle, that continue to just to go around and around and around, and you use them for your great glory. God, you use the death of a man named Stephen to impact an insane Osama bin Laden type guy and it rocked his world and then he had to go through it. Even when he, when he gave his life to you, God, he was sitting there in the house and Ananias had to be the one to go and pray over him. And, and you told Ananias, you said, he will suffer for me and he did. But yet Timothy was encouraged. That young teenage boy was encouraged to say, I don't have to wait till I'm a grown man. I don't have to wait till I'm a grown up to go and make a difference and tell the story. The mission is big. God, I pray we would all step into our mission today. If there's anybody that doesn't know you, maybe they know how to go to church, but they don't know how to be the church. They've never given their life to you. I pray that happens. I pray you use the the full circle story of me and my dad. I pray you use the full circle story of Andy and Audrey. I pray you use the full circle story of Stephen, Paul, Timothy, to encourage and challenge us to step into that and become a disciple. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name.